Church Audio, striving to introduce people to Jesus through scripture, biblical instruction, and prayer with authenticity and vibrancy. You don't need to know anything about the Bible. Just sit back, relax, and let God do the rest. Please consider subscribing to this podcast and leave a rating and review. And please consider supporting this ministry through a tax-deductible donation at mountainview.church. That's mountainview.church slash give. Now here's this week's message. Two weeks ago, we posted a shortened version of that video you just watched on social, tagged with the question, what is Easter? At the time of writing this, that video had received over 12,000 views more than any other video that we've posted. And it stirred up a lot of emotions and opinions. We received dozens of comments that could be divided into two very polarized camps. The first camp viewed the video with great skepticism. They either questioned or openly rejected the Christian celebration of Easter and the resurrection of Christ. Some even denied the existence of Jesus as a historical figure. The second camp viewed the video with great celebration, clearly believing and proclaiming the resurrection of Jesus Christ as truth. These were obviously Christians who were excited and looking forward to celebrating Easter Sunday. The most interesting component of the comment streams was the repetition of one comment in particular. It's a simple yet powerful four-letter word that was submitted over and over and over again. The word was... Amen. Amen. That was the word. It's an ancient Hebrew word directly translated means truth, used as an expression of agreement from the Semitic root to be trustworthy, confirm support. Whether you agree with them or not, you have to wrestle with the why. Why were so many people compelled to open up the comment tab and type amen in a word stating that the Christian Easter is trustworthy, confirmed, and supported. What is it about Easter and the resurrection of Jesus that brings them so much joy and so much celebration? The short answer is revealed through the statistics. Based on the evidence released by the Center for the Study of Global Christianity at Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary, there will be over 2.6 billion Christians worldwide by the middle of this year, which is 31% of the world's population. Based on current faith and population growth rates, Christianity will reach 3.3 billion by 2050, and that's roughly 34% of the world's population. This is an important factor since Christians are the ones most likely to celebrate Easter. This massive and continued dispersion of Christianity across the globe has led to over half of the countries in the world recognizing and observing the Christian Easter holiday. For example, Easter Monday is currently being celebrated as a public holiday in 116 of the 195 nations throughout the world. If that puzzles you, or maybe even bothers you, you're in the right place. If you want answers, you'll get them today. Over the next 20 minutes or so, I would like to lay out the evidence that you may have never heard before 
on why so many people all over the world celebrate Easter. More importantly, why so many people proclaim the resurrection of Jesus Christ as a true and essential fact for every human being, including you. Let's begin by reading a portion of a letter written by an early church leader named Paul in the first century AD. For context, he was writing to the Christians in the city of Corinth, a city that you can visit today in South Central Greece. Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 1 through 11. If you don't have a Bible, you can go to Bible.com and you can read one there, or you can download a Bible app on your phone or mobile device. And if you would like your own copy of the scriptures, you can text the number on the screen and we will mail you one. All right, so take a moment and get to 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 11. If you have a print Bible like I do here, uh, and you're not sure how to look up 1 Corinthians, you can go to the table of contents, which is right in the front. And if you look in the New Testament, you will see 1 Corinthians and you'll see a page number and you can get there. And then I have a little bookmark in here uh, for speed, but then you can get, once you get to 1 Corinthians, that page number, you go to the big chapter numbers. You want to go to 15 and then go to verses 1 through 11. Now let's take some time and read our scripture. Hi, I'm Dagmar. I'm reading from 1 Corinthians uh, 15, 1 to 11. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preach to you, unless you believe in vain. For I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me, for I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach and so you believed. Now that we've read through that entire passage, I'd like to highlight a couple of important points from Paul's letter to the Corinthian church. Uh, let's look at same same passage, 1 Corinthians 15, but I want to look specifically at verses 3 through 8. Let's start with 3 through 6. 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 6. Paul writes, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. All right, let's pause right there. In this letter, Paul is laying out the evidence that although Jesus was crucified, died, and was buried, 
he rose from the dead and appeared in bodily form to hundreds of people. Note two important statements that Paul makes in verse six. First, that Jesus, quote, appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. And second, that most of them are still alive at the time Paul wrote this letter. These two statements give historians great insight into whether or not Jesus in fact rose from the dead. First, since Paul only gives an account of the men who saw the resurrected Jesus, there could have been hundreds of women and children who also saw Jesus at that time. Second, by revealing that most of these men are still alive, Paul is giving the Corinthians an open invitation to investigate it for themselves. Essentially, Paul's saying, don't take my word for it, go and ask them. Then Paul adds three more eyewitness accounts. Check it out in verses seven and eight. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. These three are very important for historians as well, especially concerning the fullness of time. You see, James was Jesus' younger brother who watched him his entire life. If anyone knew that Jesus wasn't God's son and the savior of the world, it's going to be his siblings. Next, the apostles, including Paul himself. At the time of writing this letter, these men were traveling all over the known world, spreading the gospel message that Jesus is alive and offering anyone forgiveness and eternal redemption. You may be wondering, why does that matter to historians in the fullness of time? Well, because all of these men, except for one, face torture and execution for refusing to deny the resurrection of Jesus. And the one who didn't get tortured and executed was named John, and he was exiled to an island prison where he lived out the rest of his days alone. From everything we've learned in modern criminology about collaborative deception, it is far more difficult to believe that these men all died for a lie than the truth. Take a moment and seriously ask yourself, do I really believe that these men individually at different times and under different circumstances willingly face torture and execution for a lie? Do I really believe that? It doesn't hold up. It's not logical. One of them would have cracked. At least one of them facing unspeakable, gruesome torture would have come clean on the lie, but none of them did. Which leads most scholars and historians to believe that they in fact saw Jesus Christ after his death, after his burial, and after his resurrection. At this point, some of you skeptics in the crowd may be rolling your eyes. Maybe you're thinking, that's a fictitious document. It's a fairy tale that Christians wrote years later to support their religion. If you're willing, if you're really willing to look at the facts, that claim is actually what's fictitious. You see, all of Paul's letters, including his two letters to the Corinthians, are more authoritative than any other documents written at that time. And they're accepted by historians and archeologists, regardless of their faith position. There is consensus among historians and theologians that Paul is the author of the first epistle or letter to the Corinthians. His letter is quoted or mentioned by the earliest sources and is included in every ancient canon or the Bible, scriptures. Why is that important? 
it validates that Paul wrote the words that we quoted today from chapter 15. And he wrote them only 20 years after Jesus' death and resurrection. This is how Paul can say to the Corinthians, if you don't believe me, go find some other eyewitnesses. Most of them are still alive. But maybe you're wondering, what about Easter as a holiday or celebration? Is it Christian or isn't it? Why are we here? Most skeptics claim that Easter is just a pagan holiday that Christians stole. Is that true? Or is it another statement that has been repeated in our culture so many times that people have just accepted it as truth? Do those inside the church know for sure where the Easter holiday comes from? The answer is not difficult to find. A quick search in the globally accepted and distributed Encyclopedia Britannica outlines the controversy and a conclusion. The truth is that the English word Easter, which parallels the German word Ostern, is of uncertain origin. One view that was started in the 8th century was that it derived from Ostre, the pagan Anglo-Saxon goddess of spring and fertility. This is what skeptics typically point to as Easter's origin, making the assumption that Christians appropriated pagan names and holidays for their highest festivals. Historians now reject that theory as, quote, a rather dubious presumption. There is now widespread consensus that the word derives from the Christian designation of Easter week, as in albus, a Latin phrase that was understood as the plural of alba, dawn, pointing to the dawn of a new time, a new era, which became austerum in the old high German, the precursor of the modern German and English term Easter. If that still feels like a stretch for you, that's just the German-English side of the etymology. The French Easter celebration provides the greatest evidence. The Latin Greek Pesha, Passover from Hebrew Pesha, provides the root for Pak, the French word for Easter. After seeing that French evidence, you might be wondering, what's Passover? Or if you have some biblical knowledge, you might be wondering, what does Passover have to do with Easter? Passover is an ancient Hebrew observance that can't be dismissed when it comes to validating Easter. Passover has been celebrated and documented for millennia. Moreover, astronomy connected with the Jewish calendar has helped authenticate the Last Supper Jesus had with his disciples. That last Passover, right before his death and resurrection. Isaac Newton's astronomical method calculates those ancient Passovers, always defined by a full moon, which are preceded by a Friday, as specified by all four Gospels. This leaves two potential crucifixion dates, 7th April, A.D. 30, and the 3rd of April, A.D. 33. However, recent astronomical research uses the contrast between the synoptic date of Jesus' last Passover on the one hand, with John's date of the subsequent Jewish Passover on the other hand, to propose Jesus' Last Supper to have been on Wednesday, the 1st of April, A.D. 33, and the crucifixion on Friday, the 3rd, April, A.D. 33, and the resurrection on the third day. Although astronomical researchers claim that Jesus offered the Last Supper to his disciples on a Wednesday, 
The official Holy Week Last Supper observance was established as Maundy Thursday, recognized before Good Friday. The annual Maundy Thursday communion has been practiced by Christians for over 1,500 years, and some in our congregation took part in that tradition this week. But perhaps your next question is, how do these astronomical signs connected to Passover and communion help us on our journey to validate Easter? Well, some skeptics have tried to disprove Easter, claiming that date shifting year to year based on astronomical changes proves a root in paganism. Here's the problem. Pagans were never the only ones throughout history that paid attention to the seasons and looked up in the sky. In fact, the oldest Hebrew records show numerous celebrations and observances based on the changing seasons. Although Passover is arguably the most important, it's one of many in the Hebrew calendar, given in the first five books of the Bible known as the Torah. Treating Easter as a pagan knockoff just doesn't have historical grounding, especially when compared to the connection of Jesus observing the Passover with his disciples and the subsequent events that followed in the days to come. Christianity was established out of Judaism, not paganism. Jesus was a first century Jewish rabbi who was born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, was sacrificed on a cross for the sins of the world, then resurrected from the dead fulfilling the Old Testament law and prophets as Messiah and authenticating his deity as the Son of God. This in turn ended the Old Covenant with Israel and brought in a new covenant for all people outlined in the New Testament. Let's go back to the beginning. Why does a third of the world celebrate Easter? A third of the world celebrates Easter because Jesus is alive. The majority of the world, including many who reject Christianity, believe that Jesus died on a cross and was buried. However, an estimated 2.4 billion people have experienced the life-changing power of Christ's resurrection, transcending past a simple belief because he's alive and he's still working in and through them. If you're a skeptic and a skeptic of Christianity, I'm so glad you're here. And I'm so glad you're watching. I think it's amazing that you have questions and that you're really searching for answers. That's a beautiful thing. With that in mind, I have two challenges for you today. First, I want to challenge you to use that same skepticism on secular ideals when your peers claim that the New Testament documents are fictitious. Just because someone says something over and over again in our culture doesn't make it true. A true skeptic wants to view the evidence, and in looking at the evidence, you will find proof that the New Testament records are both greatly valued and highly authenticated when compared to any other document in antiquities. You may not like that fact, but it doesn't make it any less true. Consider the evidence that New Testament documents have been authenticated, including Paul's letters as valid historical records then the potential that all those people listed in the letter to the Corinthians may have in fact witnessed the resurrected Jesus. And if they did see Jesus, then everything that has been written by Paul about Jesus is true and applies to you and your life, and most importantly, applies to your eternity. For example, think deeply about what he wrote in his letter to the Romans. The word is near you 
in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. This applies to you as much as it applied to them in the first century. If you make the decision to confess Jesus as Lord of your life and you believe that God raised him from the dead, your sins can be forgiven. You will be saved and receive eternal life. I'd like to end with a quote by a scholar named C.S. Lewis, who was once an atheist trying to disprove Christianity, but eventually he had to submit to the overwhelming evidence in favor of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. After his conversion, he had this challenge for all people. He said, Christianity, if false, is of no importance, and if true, of infinite importance. The only thing it cannot be is moderately important. If you're already a believer in Jesus, you know this is true. Today is a party because it celebrates the day Jesus conquered your sin and gave you the gift of eternal life. If you're not a believer in Jesus or you're not sure, you can make that decision today. Easter doesn't have to pass without you experiencing his gift of salvation. I'm going to say a prayer that will also be on the screen. If you feel God calling you to place your trust in Jesus today, feel free to pray along with me. Let's pray. Dear God, I know that I'm a sinner and I ask for your forgiveness. I believe Jesus Christ is your son. I believe that he died for my sin and that you raised him to life. I want to trust him as my savior and follow him as Lord from this day forward. Guide my life and help me to do your will. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. If you made that decision today, or you're still searching for answers, we want to connect with you. If you're looking for answers or connection, you can reach out to us at mountainview.church/connect or text connect to the number on the screen. And if you happen to be in one of our physical locations, you can fill out a connect card or come talk to us at the welcome desk and we'll get you the help that you need. Thank you so much for spending Easter with us here at Mountain View Church. Please come back next week as we explore Jesus' ascension to heaven and the great commission that he gave all believers. Thanks for listening to Mountain View Church Audio. If you've given your life to Jesus today or would like to join, serve, or support Mountain View Church, please let us know at mountainview.church slash connect. That's mountainview.church slash connect. Have a blessed week.